0: What's different about selling a $300,000 property versus a $30 million property? We're gonna find out today. Stay tuned. This episode of Keeping It Real is brought to you by Real Geeks. How many homes are you going to sell this year? Do you have the right tools? Is your website turning soft leads into interested buyers? And now, on to our show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Keeping It Real, the largest podcast made by real estate agents and for real estate agents. My name is DJ Paris, I am your guide and host, through the show. And in just a moment, we're going to be speaking with top producer, George DeLamas. Before we get to George, just a couple of reminders. First, actually, this is a new thing. We finally now have an Instagram account. I know, it's embarrassing. I have had social media experts on the show for like six years, and off air, they were like, why do you not have Instagram? Finally, we do. And not only do we have an Instagram account, we're actually doing some cool stuff with it. So I want everyone to grab their their device, Go uh, check out Instagram and look up top agent interviews. That is our handle, Top Agent Interviews, and every single day we post a short form video clip culled from one of our episodes uh, that has a short little take, a little tactic, tip of the day. We do that every weekday, although I think I missed yesterday, but anyway, most weekdays I have a new one there. So Top Agent Interviews on Instagram, we are also on TikTok, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook uh, and probably everywhere else. <laughs> but we post uh, post them everywhere. So find us you can just whatever, you know, social media app you use, search for Keeping It Real podcast, hit that subscribe button. But the reels and the the stories that we've been promoting, these short form video clips have just gone gangbusters. I really wasn't um expecting so many people to to really be drawn to that, but it seems to be scratching an itch for our listeners. We are so grateful to you, so hopefully you can find some value there. So follow us on Instagram, Top Agent Interviews. But you know what, that's the only thing I really wanted to get through today, because we need to get to the main event, my conversation with George DeLamas. Today, my guest is George DeLamas from the Blankenship Group, the Angle and Invokers in Destin and the 30A Corridor in Florida. Let me tell you more about George. Uh, George was born in Massachusetts, 30 minutes north of Boston. Gosh, I love I love the Northeast, but aside from that, he was he also he really grew up in Florida as a child, but moved back to the Boston area as a teenager. Parents were both blue collar and passed on their work ethic. Uh, George unfortunately lost his father when he was sixteen, and, and this hurt, but it helped him understand loss early in life. Soon after his father's passing, George began to work part-time for his older cousin, managing his apartment buildings, and eventually George relocated to South Florida and worked for Ritz-Carlton. Uh, this was a real education in the world of service and how to apply to anything he would do in his future endeavors. From there, George would relocate to Destin, Florida, the 38 corridor, Short time uh, spent a short time as a property manager, which led to the transition to being a full-time realtor now we're going to get into george's story because it really doesn't even stop there Uh, but for everyone who is listening watching i would like you to please right now go visit uh, Instagram and follow George. It's George Delamis, R-E. Don't worry about spelling that. Um, I'll spell it right now, but it will also be in our show notes, but it's George, D-O-U-L-A-M-I-S-R-E. So again, link to that in the show notes, follow him on Instagram. Um, George, such a pleasure to have you. Yeah,
1: I'm super excited. I can't wait to kind of tell my story, see if I can help out anybody wanting to listen and
0: this should be exciting. Well, I have the, the the only time I've been to your area was back in high school where many people from my hometown, which is Peoria, Illinois, which is like central Illinois, uh, would go down for spring break to um, Panama City. So that was the closest I got. And that's the last time I've actually been in that area. However, I have had several different people on our show from that area, the 30A area, the Destin area. And oh my gosh, I cannot believe how much real estate transacts there and the price up points and just a whole nother world that uh, is really down there. So I'm excited to hear about that and how you, uh, and also by the way, highly competitive for anyone listening. If you think your area is tough, which I'm sure it is, oh, that area is because uh, the price points are so high. There are a lot of agents who are fighting for that business. And George is one of the very successful ones down there. So we're excited to have George you on the show. Um, But let's start at the very beginning. Like how did you get into real estate?
1: Yeah, good question. So like I said, like you, you were nicely to describe my background, really, when it started was the Ritz Carlton, I started learning service. And then as I was there, I think that was post crash back in like 11 or 12. when the economy was starting to come back in South Florida, I wanted to move on and manage manage properties, manage associations. So I ended up tra- I ended up finding a job in Destin. It's funny when I got the phone call over the interview, I said, where the, where the heck is Destin, Florida? When I was in South Florida, we made the trip. We loved it. Stayed up for a weekend, became property manager. Every weekend though, I would get phone calls from agents. Hey, can you tell me everything about the association, the condos? Where's
0: sure. The beach yeah. Camp? You were talking to agents all the time as a property yeah. manager.
1: Sure. And I probably did what probably half your audience said, oh, I can do this. If these guys are calling me. If these morons can do it, I can do it. Exactly. So that's how the transition started. Did um, I'd say for the first year and a half after I get my license, probably like a lot of agents that listen to this, I was part-time as I did my full-time job. And then I just took the leap. That's how I got into it. I think having the experience of working a little bit real estate when I was younger, but that was more of maintenance, but collecting rent. This was the full-time, want to get the big listings like anyone else wanted to get the big commission checks, and just jumped into it. It's
0: amazing. Um, I, I, You know, I was thinking as you were telling that story, I was, and I, again, I'd read some of that obviously at the beginning, but hearing it, you know, really solidified what, uh, an, an instinct I had, which you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong, which I'm often wrong, um, but this idea of working for such a white glove company like Ritz Carlton, mm-hmm. um, I mean, this is top of the food chain, you know, right, right there at the very highest level of service in the hospitality and and, and you know vacation space. And um, I, I had a similar experience when I when I graduated college, I went to work for Anheuser Busch right out of college, and again, d- different. L- Sort of, I know those companies are seen differently, like Budweiser and Bud Light was predominantly the beers I worked on, and I don't think people consider that in the same echelon as a, a, a Ritz-Carlton or a Waldorf Astoria, for example. However, from a sales perspective, they are the top of the food chain, or I don't know if they still are, but they were, and I learned so much about perfection from Anheuser-Busch. I know it's kind of a silly thing to say because we don't think about those beers as being perfect beers, mm-hmm. but there's a reason why they got to the very top. And it's not just because, um, you know, their uh, the marketing was great. I mean, the marketing is great as well as Ritz-Carlton's marketing is great too. But there is a, a level of service that you must have learned there that I would almost say you must have a servant's heart, which is like, it, it, like an expression, a temperament, because you have been in the service industry for long and you've worked for some tough companies, meaning tough, meaning de- very demanding companies. Um, and I just was well, curious how that sort of, you know, as a property manager too, like that's a thankless job where you're constantly just taking an anger and trying to make everyone happy. Um, and it's not an easy life, uh, or an easy job, but I'm curious, did that, did those skills you developed at those places, uh, help you as a realtor? Cause a realtor is a service job too.
1: Absolutely. And, and that was the biggest thing. Um, while you're there, it is very tough. I mean, you actually saw people get dismissed all the time because they couldn't live the standard we yeah. had certain ways certain things had to be done you couldn't say no for example and you'd have to navigate around problems because sometimes something might come to a property something could be wrong they're paying a, a short amount of money just to stay there they want the state to be perfect perfect and you might be always. the first person of defense to have to hear this wasn't ready this wasn't ready how dare you i came to this property because but long story short they always had a saying we want to create a world where the consumer could not live without the Ritz Carlton in that world. Wow. They had to be there. So I started thinking as I probably, it was probably internalized, but once I started getting real estate, how do we create experiences? How do I create a one on one experience where they couldn't even imagine me not handling the transaction? So I think even from there, we started going. And then there was always, whenever you went out into any of the ballrooms or the general areas, smile, you're on stage. So right there, you're like, okay, it's go time when I walk through the door. Like, if yeah. I have a bad moment in the hallway, that's fine. But once you walk through there, customers are number one.
0: Have your so. bad moments in private. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, you know, you said something. I just want to say it again. I want to repeat something you said because. Um, it, it, it's simple but profound. And really, I hope our audience takes it in. You said, I want to create a business where my clients literally cannot transact in real estate without me, or that they, I mean, obviously they can, but they yeah. feel that I am the guy. Uh, there, there's no other option. I'm the top of the food chain as far as what their expectations are and you learned all of that as not only a property manager because that is that is the toughest job. Uh yeah. you know property managers don't get a lot of things. And by the way, if anyone is working or sorry, if anyone's living in a condo uh, and you have an HOA or and you have an, a property management team the best thing you can ever do is like be super grateful and thankful and like send the property manager, like you're awesome one, you know, once in a while because yeah. that'll get, that'll actually work well. Cause they don't get a lot of that. They only get the problems. Um, and same thing with obviously anyone in the service industry, you know, tell them how special they are, but um, I'd love to learn about how you actually took some of those principles. Um, uh, you know that you learned at as a property manager working in hospitality, and then also like how did you actually implement that? Like, what was the plan, um, just to really prove to your clients that, boy, they need you.
1: I'd say from day one, like the, the Ritz Carlton, like any major company has SOPs, right, standing operating procedures. Yeah. So I decided whenever I got going, whether it was from from the point I start lead generating in the morning or taking a listing there is going to be non-negotiables that we take care of for that client. Anything from as simple as photos have to be top of the line, not the cell phones, not buying the cheapest photographer you can find. Every property, regardless, too, even when I started, had to have a video, had to have some sort of video trailer and not on a camera. Someone had to professionally do it. Those were non-negotiables. Communication, again, these were non-negotiables, because if we were going to talk to somebody who flew in on a private plane to stay at the Ritz-Carlton, communication to be top notch. They expect that when they walk on a property. So I started taking these for us at the time because we it was so learned, We started I started taking these values and implement them. Like you just said, if it's communication, the very best communication they're going to get. If I was to sit down in your living room and lay out this game plan, how to sell your home and make these promises, well, you better, <laughs> I told people all the time, you can fire me anytime you want if I don't <laughs> uphold to these standards. Because I'm so I'm so regimented in doing those, and truthfully, growing up with an Irish mother probably helps that out a lot too. Because if you don't <laughs> if you don't follow your promises, it's not going to be a good day for you as a kid in that house.
0: Yeah, well, and and Ireland too. It just uh, I don't know if your mom was born in Ireland or, or when she came, when, when her family came over, but visiting Ireland, it, the whole country. And again, it's obviously, there's a big tourism uh, uh, economy there, but, but just, even just meeting normal people um, there's this sort of hospitable nature to the Irish Greeks are the same way. Again, I'm, 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 I'm giving like positive stereotypes, I guess, but, but the reality of it is, is, is this idea of, of being of service um, is, is so important. And I, I'm just going to make a guess, and you'll have to, again, tell me if I'm right or wrong. I You talked about standard operating procedures, which I think is a brilliant idea. This idea of knowing exactly every time somebody is a client of mine, not just I'm going to do a good job, because of course, mm-hmm. but it's like, no, here's exactly, and may, whether you share that with them or it's just internal, you have that list. And I bet My guess is that if, when you have a listing, let's just say it isn't getting a lot of attention, there isn't a lot of showings, you're just not getting a lot of interest for whatever reason, maybe not even had nothing to do with you, just you know, whatever reason it's not getting a lot of attention. I suspect you have a standard uh, SOP, a standard operating procedure about how often you communicate with that seller to you know, make sure that they're aware of what's going on. I suspect you have uh, some sort of process in place even when nothing's happening. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: So th- th- they're going to get a phone call, email or text, whatever their preference is, at least once a week. Of course, after showings, we, we tell them we'll be in touch within 24 hours. We want to keep them along the process. The problem. And again, this will probably ask us later. But one of the problems I saw when I first started in real estate and diagnosing listings, communication is always the biggest problem because they have nothing to talk about when they talk to the client. Oh, sorry. <laughs> we had a slow week. We had no showings. Thank you. Well, what did you do for my house that week? What are you doing? What are you being innovative? How are you, you know, and those were subtle things that I knew from the Ritz and from property management. Like when someone came to show up to their condo here locally, hey, by the way, this week while you were gone, we had all the trees trimmed. We had this done. We had this done. We had XYZ. And I started applying those whenever I dealt with the listing. So yeah, so that weekly call wasn't, unfortunately, like... 85% of the agents out there would just go, sorry, we had no traffic today. Um, but hey, when he gets busier, I'll let you know. You know, right. We're going to let them know the market. We're going to do everything almost to overload them in a sense. We want them to make sure that they understand everything we're doing and everything going on in the marketplace and how they're
0: I'm gonna pa- I'm going to pause you again, because you just said something else that was, that was brilliant. And to you, this is like just how I operate, but I want to make, make step on this point a little bit because I want our audience to really, really hear this. So not only is George call, texting or emailing once a week, right? Even if there's no activity, he's not just saying, sorry, no activity this week. He's actually, okay. I still have to justify my job. I still have to let them know that I am actively working on the property, and here is the information I'm going to provide to them. Aside from the fact that you know we it's been it's been light in traffic, I'm going to talk about that. Uh, maybe you know maybe I'll have an explanation for why that is happening. Um, maybe even a suggestion about how to fix it. But also, by the way, this is all the, the other things we are doing currently for you. It's 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 a subtle thing, but it's very important, right? Because you're giving somebody news they don't want to hear, and you're also giving them news they do want to hear. Here's what I am doing for you, and here's what I think is going to happen going forward. So having the idea of, like you were saying, people will avoid their clients because maybe they they don't have anything else to say. They haven't given thought of a reason other than, well, I'm just going to be delivering bad news, and uh, maybe yeah. I should just leave them alone. Um, it's so funny. Uh, I've said this before, and I'll just I'll just make this really quick story. Um, it's it's a very short story, uh, but I, I talked to one of the top producers in Chicago a few years ago on the show, and she was very soft spoken and very humble, and and but literally very top of the food chain, like top ten agents out of forty six thousand agents here. And I was like, what what's your secret? Like, what do you think you've done that's so different? She goes, DJ, its not going to be embarrassing to say this. I call every client every week, and I was like, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> she goes, yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> And I said, doesn't everybody do that? And she goes, no. <laughs> so I know it's a lot more than that. But even if that's a standard operating procedure, which it is for you, obviously huge. Um, but I, I want to switch gears because I want to mm. spend time. Now, for anyone watching or listening, you, 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 you may have an inclination to want to shut this off at the next topic. I am going to encourage you to not shut this off because George does something that I am absolutely crazy about. Um, but if you get a little reaction inside of you that's like, oh, I don't like, I don't like what I'm hearing, fight through it because he's gonna possibly give you an opportunity to really take your business to the next level and fight through some of the fear that you may have around this. And of course, we are talking about phone prospecting, everybody's least favorite topic, but it's an important one because since almost nobody does it, there's a huge opportunity here. And by the way, we should talk about the kind of properties that George is working on here. These, these are huge, high net worth individual properties down in that area. These are people that, like you said, George was saying when he was at, um, Ritz Carlton, you know, sometimes guests would fly in on a private jet. That's the same sort of experience George has dealing with some of his buyers and sellers now, because that's a destination where a lot of high net worth individuals play. And, and there's, you know, normal si- normal price properties there too. But George plays in a very, very uh, exclusive space. And the idea of doing phone prospecting to me is fascinating at that space. So George, let's talk about this. Um, please tell us all about phone prospecting.
1: Sure. Well, th- to give a a quick backstory. When I started, I was trying to figure out what to do, right? Should I go to buyers? Should I write blogs? Should I do this? Should I do that? Because as we all know, when you get into real estate, yes, you have to study to take a test, but it has nothing to do with how to get business, right? Right. So what I decided to do, I started watching YouTube, there was a guy from Massachusetts where I'm from. And he speaks fast like I do. He was like a bull in a China shop. So I liked that style. And I would literally pause the thing, write it down pause write it down then I would call people and now I can call people very freely but it would the phone would ring don't answer don't answer don't answer because I didn't know what to say I was probably like half the people listening to this I was scared if they answered my tonality would dip um, uh, DJ you know now of course I'm more polished I've done this for such a long time but that's what happens that's the transition so I started looking at listings and studying them bad photos bad description I would interview sellers and say you know i understand you're not going to sell now but i just have to ask what went wrong and they would start telling me oh i never heard from them everything was below rate, and i and i started figuring out okay if they say this i want to get on their side as quick as possible where a lot of people who call they want to do objection handling if you say this i say that if you say this and now we're going like this
0: Right. I there, at, at this point, when, when there's objective – sorry, just to pause for a second. Yes. Object, objections are great to have an answer to, but you are at a logger horn, right? Or, or mm-hmm. I think that's the expression. You're, you're butting heads, right? Because you, you somebody's coming at you one way and you're trying to counter and it becomes a, a, a force issue. You're kind of like each trying to force your way and whoever has the strongest argument wins, which is tough. It's a tough thing yes. to do.
1: And growing up in New England, <laughs> confrontation is very easy. It's normal. Right. So I would do this. But then I started practicing doing script practice with people from California, with people that had different. So I would start applying and say, wait a minute, instead of asking it with this tonality, I'm going to shift it. I'm going to say like this, I'm going to have a downswing an upswing. I'm going to whisper when I had to say certain things. So it was just a transformation. So over the years I start getting up. So you're right. I would start calling $500,000 million dollar houses. I could get them right. Couple of reasons. Energy over the phone, people have to understand how important that is. I used to say things, now I look back, I'm like, how the heck did I get that listing? I know what I was saying. But the energy was there. And the seller who just went through a bad experience said, in their subconscious, I don't want to get too boring into this because people get bored, but the subconscious is saying, wait a minute, this is different. 10 people just called me, but this guy's different because his energy is different, his tonality is different, he's asking questions that people generally don't ask. So throughout the process, I just every time I had something, I'd fine tune it and
0: that's I would find
1: angles. Not, and that's not unethical what I'm saying by an angle. Like if I knew I called you and what was the old the old scripts? When are you going to hire the right agent to sell your house? Well, I used to hear that and cringe. I'm like, well, if I'm talking to my friend, because that's what I would try to set up is I'm not going to say, hey, DJ, saw your house came off the market. When are you going to hire the right agent? You're like, George, right. my friend. Yeah. Why are you talking yeah, about
0: t- Talk to me like a human being. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. So I perfected a line I really like to use and it works like gold and I'll give it out. People can use as much as they want. I'd get to the opening of the call. And the question would be, DJ, I'm looking at these photos on the MLS right now. The kitchen's gorgeous. How in the world did this thing not sell? And what I started finding out, that's an implied compliment rather than, you hired the wrong agent. What starts going to the subconscious? You're an idiot. You hired the wrong person. I'm smart. I can help you. Right. The sellers are like, wait a minute. Now it's confrontational. their their sales resistance will build up now. And now for the next 10, 15 seconds on the phone, if you don't shift that, what happens? Have a good day. Or if you're in South Florida where I first sold, click. <laughs> So well
0: it, it, what, what's brilliant about that? I mean it, it is brilliant. So let's 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 repeat that line because it is a brilliant line. And as soon as you said it, I was like, that is brilliant. Because you yeah. said, you know, hey, I hey Mr. or Mrs. Seller. Um, hey, I was looking at at the photos of your property, unbelievable. Like the kitchen, insane. How did this thing not sell? Or what mm-hmm. what, what was what what happened? How oh, in like, the world? What, yeah. What, yeah. How the world. Yeah, I mean, how in the world did this not sell? And by the way, I just want to make another point about tonality because mm-hmm. we've kind of moved on from that. The best thing that anyone who deals uh, with, with, you know, phone conversations or even just in-person conversations. It's take a class on tonality. Understand how your voice and your inflection, as George says, going up and going down, understanding how things become questions, become statements, become demands, understanding that it's not that hard to understand and you can practice with people. And yes, you can change the way you talk. So if you're going to be delivering bad news, there's a way to do that that will decrease someone's anxiety. And there's a way to do it where you'll be really anxious. You know, you can, you could do it like that. Um, And no matter what I say, you're going to go, Oh, Right, and then if you say, "Hey, we, we've had a tough week," you know, but you know, here's all the things I'm doing. That has a different feel to it, sure. and and so studying tonality is everything. So I just wanted to honor you for that because very few people I've had on the show talk about tonality and talking about the way that they're projecting their voice, and anyone can learn. Um, but I'm sorry, but back to back to your, your your script idea. That is a brilliant question because what you're really going for, it sounds like, is you want the story. Hey, what's the story here? What what happened?
1: Yeah. yeah. And and that's really the the connection, right? We're gonna build rapport. We're gonna go a little bit deeper. We're gonna repeat and reaffirm. So if I say, how in the world does this not sell? Oh, my agent's the biggest idiot in the world. He couldn't get it done. Which is probably not right. The house is probably overpriced. But anyways, we never jump on that. We never jump on the agent, of course. We're not gonna say, oh yeah, I agree with you. But I could say, wow, I'm so sorry to hear that. This house definitely should have sold. Like just, just, you know, we wanna give them a little compassion, get on their side. And then the next part of the scripting is rapport building. So we've already kind of got on their side. We went from like this face-to-face to like arm around them. Wow, how'd this happen? So we're, we're like getting in them saying, hey, listen, I'm different. I wanna hear what's going on. I don't have commission breath. I'm not salesy, I'm not pushing you. It's more of, here's the process. So tell me what happened.
0: Well, it's, it's very much like, a, similar to what a consultant might do at a company. A consultant who's brought in to rescue a company or fix a problem the company's mm-hmm. having they might walk in and go this place seems great like what's the problem here like what like what's going on here and really what you're wanting to do is is you're out, you want you want the story, you want the person to tell you without feeling pressure or stress, or you're right, or that that they may feel stupid, that they hired somebody that maybe they feel didn't do a good job. They could be angry at that person, that agent, but they could also feel stupid. You mentioned that. And that's an important thing for people to realize when you ask questions about you know the previous agent. You know, it's kind of like when when people are in a bad relationship and they break up and, and you say to the person, Oh, I'm so sorry that happened to you, and they go, I feel so stupid, I was in this relationship. And you're like, You shouldn't feel stupid, but people do sometimes. So that's an important thing to realize. And the other thing that, that you said that that was so, so smart, or, or sorry, the other implication is that you have a solution but you haven't yet told them. You're like, how did this not sell? This should be selling. This should have sold, which means you know something that they don't know yet, which is also a very subtle uh, way to project yourself as a leader, as somebody who knows a little bit more than they do. And they're going to be like, I know if, if my home didn't sell and I had hired an agent and somebody called me and goes, how did your place not sell? And I said, I don't know. They just Maybe they didn't do a good job. I don't know. And you're like, this place should have sold. I would have been like, great. Tell me, Tell me what you're going to do because yeah. that's all I want. So Brilliant, George. I really, it's not. Here's what I'm gonna do for you. It's this should sell. And a lot of times they'd be like, oh, great, let's talk. I want to hear what you're gonna tell me. So anyway, I'm just I'm just honoring you for all of this. And sorry for, for stopping so often, but really it's so
1: important. Too. Sometimes, you know, most of the time calling gets such a bad name, right? They'll say cold calling doesn't work. They'll call it cold calling. Some people call it prospecting. Now, keep in mind, what I just asked that question, how in the world does it not sell? Recently I got a 7.69 million dollar listing out of that. And when I when I sat down with them after we signed everything, I said, quick question. I'm always wondering um, what led you to, you know, list with us. Well, you asked me a question. No one ever asked me how in the world did my home not sell. And
0: And they remembered it.
1: Yeah, they remembered it right away. So I know it works. I probably said that question now 25,000 times.
0: And, And by and by the way, by the way, George is being authentic. He's not saying it because it's it's part of the script. I mean, it is part of the script. But George is legitimately curious. What? Why did this place not sell? And that comes through, right? If you say it and it's part of your sales tactic, maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't. But when you're authentic, and George is like genuinely interested, like what happened here? I can't figure out what happened here. George's like, it's probably the price. We all know that but I want to hear it from their perspective. I want to know what they think went wrong. So, brilliant, George.
1: And I will say, this really came from this part of my uh, growth to where I'm at now, came from an agent, he probably doesn't remember, I listened to a podcast, his name is Michael Ferrero. Ferrero in Connecticut, luxury agent. I was probably like a lot of agents listening to this or watching it, he would say, I'm getting five million dollar listings by expired calls. I was like, "How the heck is he doing this? <laughs> Nobody <Right>? gets that." <laughs> so I tracked him down. I called him. Told me he's like, "Hey, listen, I'll coach you for two months. I don't have the time, but I'll coach you for two months." He actually turned me on. He got trained by Jordan Belfort, the Wolf of Wall oh, Street. Oh wow!
0: Well, yeah, so <laughs> that's that's the guy. where
1: like the tonality it was like on steroids and yeah, like the this the scene from Wolf of Wall Street when he sells the penny stock, right? right. Jordan, I, I, I took Jordan Belfort's training after that, I paid for it, and he talks about he trained Leo on the whole sales thing. Sure. When he comes up and he has the fist down when you elongate words. So there really is such a profound skill set to this if you want to do it. Now, you may get kicked in the teeth a few times on the calls, and you're like, oh, it doesn't work, which is fine with me, especially if you're in my area. Don't call. <laughs> but, you know, so –
0: it, yeah, it's it's interesting. I've actually um you know when I watched Wolf of Wall Street, I was I was obviously I was turned off to the way he he conducted business, but I was fascinated yeah. by his sales techniques and he still teaches. I think he's in Australia now, but he yeah. still teaches this stuff. Um you know, I don't know how how good uh the you know, I don't know what he's training people on these days. I'm sure it's great. But um but the idea of paying attention not so much to as much of the words that we're saying as how we're saying things is really, I mean, the, uh, the 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 research is really clear that how we say things is infinite, almost infinitely more important yeah. than what we're actually saying. And, you
1: know, part of it too, he talks about it during his training. Like, if you do what I did in the 80s, this stuff is so good. It's so easy to manipulate. You can get yourself in a lot of trouble. And he goes, I'm evidence number one. And that's why when I come back and coach and tell everybody, you we want to be truthful. We want to be very careful we do because I'm not calling to manipulate. Yes, I can call with tonalities to get you to open up because at the the back of me knows if I can get you to list with me, I'm your number one option. I'm better than everybody else because I know how exactly why this house didn't sell. Now, if you have that here, right, if you have that inside, you can get it. If you're going with falsehoods and everything else, you'll be exposed eventually because you can't answer the questions, the detailed. So what what's going on my listing? What's happening? What's this? What's that? Well, eventually a better competition who's going to beat you.
0: Right. That's yeah. you know you you said you said things that are that are really quite brilliant too because this idea of studying listings and going through and trying to figure out maybe an expired a fisbo um What's, what's going on here? Why is this thing not selling? And yes, we could always come down to price because all, everything is always price. However, there's a story that leads you to price that usually is a lot more intricate. And this idea of getting curious about that is, is fun. It must be really fun for you because you're like, I want to figure out what is going on with this property. Is the seller crazy and they just are never going to lower their price? Is the, did the agent not do a good job? What do the photos look like? The video? you know, What was the marketing efforts that were done? Mm-hmm. But I also want to talk about y- your area is... is somewhat uh unique because a lot of times that my understanding of your area and correct me if i'm wrong is that you know getting listings is great but when you're having you know a 7 million dollar listing there aren't a lot of buyers just walking around going hey when's the next 7 million dollar listing going to hit the market you have to sometimes go out and find those buyers even as the listing agent right Um, and so I'm curious on what that process looks like. Like once you get one of these, these mega, you know, high, high net worth listings, what are you doing to, to find the buyer or do you not really have to, because they come to you? Well,
1: 12 months ago, I wouldn't have to do much looking right. You put the sign in the ground and even if, I mean, I didn't sell it on the team, but the team, the, the gentleman who runs the team sold a $24 million listing sign in the ground, you know, amazing. now, in a normal market, which probably a lot of your uh, viewers and listeners are used to, especially here, what we'll have to do is we may, we're we going to identify who's going to buy the house. right? We'll do a buyer profile for us. For example, we know it's 90 percent chance an out of state owner who may use it two weeks out of the year. Now, some may use it a full month or two months. but So we know, OK, they're probably not going to use it. They may even decide to rent it because we have such a short term rental market here. Homes get rented per week, some on the weekends. So, okay, we know that now we know what four or five states are our feeder states, right? It's Alabama, it's Tennessee, it's Texas is now big, Georgia's always been there. Not so much parts of Florida, maybe parts down the other panhandle that I want to upgrade. Maybe they bought something in Panama City Beach and said, you know what? That doesn't get the luxury feel that 38 does. So maybe I'll trade my condo and want to get on the sand. So, first, we have to do is identify the buyer. And then we can go out different ways to market. We can't call a neighborhood like we used to do in West Palm beach or Jupiter, Florida, where we'd say, Hey, I know you live in a neighborhood now that has this, this, and this, we just listed here and you could trade up. So we had to identify like Nashville, we obviously have companies there, but more importantly, we can market to who directly buys from Nashville here. We can do zip codes. We can search that we can send marketing material. And we go along those roads, and of course, networking with other agents in those areas. We can call them yeah.
0: up. I was going to say, how important is it to have a network of agents in those feeder areas, like whether it's New York City, you know, Boston, uh, Nashville, um, you know, Charleston, maybe. You know, I, I don't. I'm just making these yeah. uh, these up. Maybe Chicago. Um, but but how important is it for you to have like a dedicated network so you can call and say, I've got a new listing. You got to tell your clients about this kind of thing.
1: Certainly, it's critical. I mean, especially if you want to stand out here. The last two years, we've been the number one team here. Um, last year, we beat the competition by 100 million. The year before is a little bit closer. And a lot of times, which is funny, the higher end agents in Nashville, Aspen, they'll actually call us and say, hey, I know you guys have some of the better listings. Do you have anything off market right now? Or do you have anything that I have a client looking up to like 18 million? Can you send me whatever you have right now? Now, of course, having those other relationships where you can get on the phone and say, hey, listen, we just listed X, Y, Z. If you have anybody looking, oh, by the way, I'll send you the video right now, the video trailer, you can send it out to them. So yes, I mean, if you have that, it's almost like a cheat code. Because then when you're selling the, the listing presentation, part of it is our network second to none. I mean, there's a reason we sell, you know, 445 million a year, you know, so there's, there's definitely a value in that where I think if if you if you haven't sold that or if you haven't been part of a team and got to see how the machine works, you don't really value having that network that strong.
0: Right. Right. So this idea of of working on some of these higher price listings requires a different sort of skill set than maybe a a price point that you don't have to necessarily go out and secure the buyer. You just have to price it correctly, make sure it's, uh, the sign is in the ground and, and that it's visible online somewhere. Um, so in the other thing too, let's talk about working with the sellers or or, or buyers, really, it doesn't matter because you're, you're dealing with a lot of high net worth individuals. Some of these people, this is their third, fourth, fifth home. Like you said, maybe they use it a few weeks a year. Maybe they rent it, maybe they don't. Um, mm-hmm. But regardless, you are often, I'm guessing, dealing with teams, right? So a lot of these people have a manager, or maybe an accountant, or an attorney, or some sort of financial planner—somebody that, prob- if not more than one or two people—they a lot of times you're probably dealing with not just the, the buyer or seller, but also their their business team. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And you have to find out who
1: the decision maker is. You know, even though some of these people are extremely wealthy and they do have layers to them, sometimes they still want to know everything. They want to be the person. I think where that part really comes in is finding that person who's a gatekeeper to get to that seller initially. But most of the people in this area, I would say, a lot of them are, are, they're not old money, a lot of them. Mm -hmm. So they've worked for it. They've sold the businesses. Heck, I know somebody who has one of the biggest houses on the beach. I think he owns every McDonald's in Alabama. So he really worked up and now he has it. And he's one phone call away where you can connect with him. So it's a case by case thing. But, you know, obviously, if they have different layers that is going to make it harder, but then you have to again, it goes back to tonality and leading to that ego so if that if you know the person who is in charge of the property who you have to inter, you know, intermingle with and they have a strong ego, well, how do I play up to that ego? How do I make sure they understand the number one option for them without getting them angry, without being this or that? And I think that's a crucial thing. I think a lot of agents don't think about because let's be honest, we're just selling houses right? We're trying to make a dream happen for them, or in this case, sell their biggest asset. But a lot of times I think agents get a little too full of themselves, right? We think that we're more special than we are. And I think that can really hurt you too when you're talking to some of these managers or accountants or financial planners. So I think understanding who we're talking to, who the audience is and how to handle that.
0: And it's probably also that you come across as somebody with a very, uh, mild to non-existent ego. And I think when you're dealing with with some people who may have a, an inflated sense of self because of their success, obviously you've had a ton of success too, so you should, you know, if anyone should have it. It should be you, but obviously, understanding you're, you're in the service business, you have to tamp that down. Um, or and you just don't seem to be the kind of person that that has much of that, um, which is awesome. Um, but I imagine that that leaves room for the the buyer or the seller to be able to express their ego if they want to, and they're not in competition with you. You are there to support them, um, and and you're also analyzing uh every part of that person, right? You're constantly thinking, you know, how how do I best communicate with them? What's the best way to to say or do a certain thing so that it fits in with their worldview? Um you're constantly analyzing and strategizing in order to meet that client's need.
1: Absolutely. And that's really the biggest thing. Like do I have an ego when I need to? Of course. But with most people, I'm there to I'm there to serve them, right? And we know like i know sellers who need more attention versus some that are like hey give me a call when i get an offer it's all i care about please don't bother me during the week i'm very busy and then there's others every four days hey what's going on how's this going what's with that so i think dialing into that personality knowing exactly who you're dealing with at the end of the day i don't take it personal i've actually had sellers complain about other agents oh they take me so personal when i do this when i do that they start crying to me. I don't want that in the next person. I said, that's fine. If we want to have no feelings, I'm good with that too. Because yeah. a lot of times I get accused of, well, you don't seem that happy when you first meet people. I'm like, well, I'm just trying to look at the circumstances. How do we? How can I help you as fast as possible? And I think some agents, they take everything so personal. It's like, guys, we're really here for the clientele. Our feelings are secondary. Now, you don't want anybody screaming at you. I get that part. But sometimes these are high stakes for them these are high 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 emotions you get in the gist of it we're about to close oh by the way they didn't disclose there was a fifty thousand dollar assessment due well now the seller has to pay for it because he didn't you know but the emotions are so high and you're the person in the middle that has to take this abuse while that's happening yeah so you just have to internalize it hey this isn't me personally I'm here to do a job it comes to that and yeah maybe you have a few cocktails after the transaction you laugh it off but you just try your best not to get take it personal. Well, I really? think
0: I think one of the easiest ways to overcome that feeling of something being personal, because I think anyone listening who has had a disappointment in a transaction, or maybe their best friend chose another agent as opposed to them, uh, you know, those kind of situations can feel very personal. Um, I, I you, you know, when you were talking about, you know, making cold calls, that is a really easy way to understand. Uh, well, it's, it's, it's a very intense way, but a quick way to understand that things aren't very personal because when you're calling for sale by owners, expired listings, you are. You know, going to take a little bit of abuse sometimes because people are angry. They're, you know, I don't want to talk to an agent, or I just hired one and they screwed me over, or whatever mm-hmm. the reasoning is. Um, and they, by the way, they probably have gotten ten other phone calls that day as well because yeah. a lot of these, um, a lot, there's a, a lot of services where you can pay for for those leads to come in every day, and they sell them mm-hmm. to many, many people. So the idea is you're not even usually the first phone call. Um, so it's a tough, it's a tough phone call. Is my point. The 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 challenge, or what what happens though, is is you really quickly realize, oh, I, I survived. You know, the guy told me to f off because I couldn't even get my name out before he slammed the phone down. It wasn't even your fault, but but you're like, oh, well, obviously that's not me. That's just that person was having a bad day. So I I think all the cold calls you've made have probably helped make you a little bit have a little bit more of a Teflon, uh, because you're like, yeah, it just happens. It's not the end of the world.
1: And the way I look at it too, if if I'm making all these calls when I'm talking to somebody like in my earlier part of my career when I'm doing a lot more opens or I'm doing a lot more this, I want that interaction to be great. So the cold calls prepare you for that. Cause I'll talk to people. I can't call anybody. I can't do it. I'm only good when I meet them in person. Well, what if you're proficient with a stranger? How good do you think you're going to be when you're with somebody who you meet face to face? You're going to be even better. That's all the way I looked at it. If I can get you there's nothing, there's not a greater feeling in the world when I call you in Nashville I convince you to sign a listing agreement over the phone, I never meet you, I sell the house, you get your wire and we've never met. To do that yeah. is just an it, it, it's just a great feeling cuz you convince somebody you've never met.
0: It's kind of like the ultimate sale because also mm-hmm. you're dealing in high net worth sort of transactions. Yeah. Not not that any transaction is better or worse than another, but certainly um, you know the stakes could be considered higher at at a higher price point. And 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 uh, the idea of being able to do that site unseen um, is, is, is an incredible really victory. And, and, and I don't think it's lucky. I don't think it's, well, you just called somebody who didn't need to meet with you in person. It's like, no, no, George is extremely strategic about the way he communicates and communication is, is obviously the name of the game. Mm -hmm. Um, I also, before, before we get close to wrapping up here, I want to mention, and I forgot to mention this earlier. So if anyone out there would love to be trained and George isn't taking on everybody, he's only going to take on one or maybe two people, but he is wanting to share some of his knowledge that he has learned from all the trainers he's worked with and all of his own expertise and experience to possibly work with agents to teach them what he knows. By the way, guys, let's just go back to this one fact that wasn't even in George's bio that is like really crazy. His team outsold the next biggest team by a hundred million dollars in a year's time. Like that's pretty impressive. So if you ever were like, I wish my coach was actually out there producing, you know, um, George got got his, uh, you know, he had a mentor who, who was successful and, and helped him and he wants to do the same. So if there is anyone who's like, I want to learn what George knows, George, what's the best way somebody could reach out? And again, you're not taking everybody, might only sure. be one, one person, but you know, what are you looking for and how should they reach out to you? Sure. They can, you know, for
1: now they can go through Instagram. I think it's probably the easiest. Um, what we're looking to really do, like I said, I'm not trying to take on a thousand people. We're trying to get people who maybe either stuck. Maybe they're getting in. And I know the feeling you're getting your teeth kicked on the phone. You don't know what to say. You don't know how to say. You don't know how to go out and get business. That's the really the the, the worst thing about this business. What is the old saying? 90% of people come into real estate with no sales training. 90% of people leave with no sales
0: training. <laughs> yeah, that's you, true. You know,
1: we get into a brokerage. Um, the broker's like, hey, best of luck. Go out there. Go kill it. Yeah. And you're like, how do I do that? So we're looking to help those, and we're also looking to help those like I used to do. I could get to the five million dollar train. I could get to the door. I get the appointment, but then I wouldn't even know what to say in the appointment to get it. Like when they ask a simple right. question, why should we choose you over this? And you start just verbal diarrhea. Blah blah. blah. I can do this and this. We can find. I can fine tune that. I've sat before big time sellers, and we can help people get to that level if they want. To. So I'd say if you'd like, go through Instagram, message kind of what you're looking to do. We'll connect. We'll see if we can be a value because we may not I may not be the best value for somebody. Right. But at the same time, if there's a connection. They want to talk further. I'd love to see who I can help out.
0: Well, for anyone who is interested in learning from what George, uh, the knowledge George has, and everybody should be interested in this, go to Instagram and follow him at George DeLamis, R E, George, like George, D O U L A M I S R E. By the way, link to that in the show notes so you don't have to type it in or just search for George DeLamis. Easy to find and reach out to him and say, I would love to learn what you learn. And uh, possibly you guys could connect. And also, by the way, George's clients buy and sell homes not just in their area, the, the Dustin 38 area. All over the country, these are high net worth individuals. So George also wants to keep expanding his network as well of agents. So maybe you guys could trade clients. Maybe somebody's moving to Destin, and George has people that are looking for properties in other areas that he doesn't service. So if you would like to connect with George, possibly for on a referral basis, um, George, what's the best way? Some is that the best way? Instagram. The same. No, same Instagram.
1: My, my name's so long, and then you, you start going. George.delamis at uh, blank blank blank. I think it's <laughs> the easiest
0: way. Awesome. So George Delamis R E. Again, link to that in the show notes on Instagram. Find George. George, this was incredible. I, and you know, I know you're just talking about your process. But for somebody that's done almost 500 episodes of the this show, this, this was an incredible episode. So I am so grateful to you. Our audience is grateful to you. So on behalf of the audience, thank you for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. You gave so much value that I suspect this will be one of our most downloaded episodes ever. So thank you uh, in advance for all of the great traffic we're going to get because of you. And hopefully we can help you as well. Um, on behalf of George and myself, we want to thank the audience for sticking around to the very end. We appreciate you. We love you. We are here for you. And we are grateful that you tell a friend about our show. So think of one other realtor in your office or somebody you know in the industry who's maybe struggling right now. It's 2023. This is a tough year to be in real estate. Let's help other agents so that you know, we get some good karma sent our way. Send them over uh, to our website, keepingitrealpod.com, or um, just tell them to pull up any podcast app, search for Keeping It Real, hit that subscribe button. And one last thing, guys, we just started clipping our episodes. And by the way, we're going to have a lot of clips of this one. Um, but uh, we are now posting those short form video clips just in case you don't want to sit through a full hour of me, which I don't know why anybody wouldn't want to sit through a full hour of me. I don't want to, I don't even want to sit through a full hour of me. But for anyone that wants to see some of our bite sized content, which by the way, super easy and di- super fast digestible, go to Instagram. Oh, well, we're on actually all the social platforms, but Instagram is our big push right now. So, Top Agent Interviews is our Instagram handle. Every single day, we post a short form 60 second clip from one of our episodes, and we will have a lot of them from this one, so be on the lookout for that. So go go uh, to Top Agent Interviews, and also while you're on Instagram, go visit George, George Delamas RE, send him a message, tell him how awesome he was on the show, because he is and was, and maybe he'll want to work with you, and maybe you guys could train together. So George, thank you so much. This was a pleasure, and we will see everybody on the next episode. Thanks, George. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Uh-huh.